stand with me as we turn to the book of Romans. This morning I want to look at one verse, but we will go in many different directions in God's Word looking at other verses that will come and lay weight upon this one verse. Romans 1 and verse 6. And seven, excuse me. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Father, we have already had our hearts challenged by your presence in our midst. Lord, we want to come this morning to this holy desk and feed the sheep that are waiting to be fed. And Lord, I pray that you would just really work in their appetite this morning that you might work in their heart that they might hunger and thirst after God's precious word. Lord, I pray that the word would not be burdensome to them, but yet it would be fresh. Lord, I'm convinced there's many people who come to church on Sunday morning and who are going through the motions and they're not hungry to hear the word. They're wanting to know when we're going to get out of here. They're wanting to know when will his preacher be quiet. Their mind is occupied with other things. Lord, I'm concerned about them. Do they really know the Lord Jesus? Do they really know him? Lord, your word is good. The word says it is pure, and, it, and it's like honey to the taste. Lord, make us be today hungry for the honey of God's word. In your name we pray, amen. We're in a series of messages from the book of Romans. And I want you to know, I thank you for your prayers for me and your prayers for this series because they are already being answered and fruit is coming from the preaching from the book of Romans. This week, we were able in the past week to see the fruit of God displayed as a result of the preaching of the word last Sunday. And I believe there's going to be even fruit today that is coming to blossom as a result of the powerful word, not the powerful preaching. I'm just an instrument. But the powerful word of God that comes to change people's lives. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome so that they might understand what the gospel is. That they might know what they have. They might know what happened to them. That they might know sound doctrine so that they could stand against the false teachers who would come in and try to water down the gospel. And so we have the greatest treatise on the, on the gospel in the book of Romans out of all the other books in the Bible. The book of Romans explains the Old Testament promises that God told about the gospel. And you must understand the book of Romans to appreciate the book, the Old Testament. And you must have the Old Testament understanding to understand the book of Romans. They dovetail together. They tie together. So the Apostle Paul in the first seven verses of Romans 1 gives 
a overview of what we're going to study for maybe the next 10 years, though I hope not. But he gives an overview in seven verses. His heart just kind of explodes in adoration over this gospel. And so the first seven verses is the seed that's planted by the Apostle Paul that later on blossoms into a great and mighty tree. It's an awesome book. And we've looked at the preacher of the gospel that Paul who was a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart. Uh, he had a different horizon. He had a broader horizon. His life was changed. And he said, I'm not doing this because it's a good idea. He said, I'm doing this because God called me. Look up here, folks. There are some young people here. There could be older people here today. God's calling you. God has a call on your life. God, God's calling you to thrust you into the ministry of God's word. And listen, friend, you will never, ever, 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 ever be satisfied. It, you will never, ever, ever be, be fulfilled until you respond to that call. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being disobedient to the call of God? My, he would have been a miserable man. Miserable of miserable. But no, he would respond. He said, I'm called. And then we looked at the promise of the good news. We saw that the, that the good news is not something that's uh, uh, new. It's good, but not new. It's old. Isaiah told about the Messiah coming. Uh, God prophesied through Moses that, that God would come. Genesis chapter 3, uh, we see the promise of the Messiah. And then we looked at the person of the good news. Paul told us in these first seven verses, he said, listen, the good news is Jesus Christ, who is God, the God-man. Jesus Christ isn't a God, he is God. And uh, he is Lord, and he is Jehovah God. He is God. And we're not to fellowship. We're not to listen to someone who comes and brings another gospel. And there's folks that will knock on your door every Saturday uh, or sometime during the year who will come and tell you, well, Jesus isn't a God. Uh, isn't God. He is a God. He's the Son of God, yes, but he's not God. Listen, friend, Paul said Jesus is God. And listen, Jesus said he was God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for we are one. So the gospel is the person of Jesus, who he is and what he's come to do. And then last week we looked at the proof of the gospel. Paul said, you have been obedient to the faith. In other words, you've heard the gospel, and the gospel has produced in you obedience. And we learned last week that there's two kinds of faith. There's dead faith and there's obedient faith. People who have dead faith are people who sit around and say, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose. I believe that, I believe that he's coming again. I believe the Bible. I believe, I believe, I believe. But their heart, their actions, their obedience is not turned towards God. No, it's turned toward the world. They, they say one thing with their mouth, but they do not obey the commandments of God. Jesus said, listen, you draw close to me with your mouth. He said to those religious people, you come and you try to flatter me and you try to say the right things and you do say right things, but you come close to me with your mouth. You say the right things with your mouth, but in your heart it is far from me. You're not committed to me. You're not committed to obey me. You're not committed to do what I tell you to do. And it's, and it's carried out in your daily life. I mean, it's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's another thing to be a Christian. And a Christian who doesn't walk, a person who doesn't walk in obedience has no proof, has no proof of assurance of salvation. But does that mean we don't sin? No. We, we, we as Christians, yes, we stumble. Yes, we make mistakes but it is not the thrust of our life. Our hearts are turned toward God, and when we do make a mistake, we, we, we are troubled about it. We are condemned about it. The referee blows the whistle on us, and we stop. We know something's wrong, and we turn, and we say, I'm sorry. And the Lord has already forgiven us. But we can't stay in it. We can't dwell in it. We can't live in it. We can't sit in front of a television and lust after pornography and stay there and stay there and stay there 
and, and it become a habit in our life and claim that we have known the Lord Jesus. Listen, friend, when you sit there in front of it and you see that pornography, and friend, we are inundated with pornography. When you sit there and you look at it and you enjoy it, and you're not condemned by it, convicted by it, to turn it off. I can't see it. Friend, who are you fooling when you say, I am a Christian? You can't sit there in front of it and dwell in it and live in it. You feel dirty. You feel naked before God. Proof of salvation is a changed life. Jesus said, everybody that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Those that obey him. But this morning, I want us to look at the privileges of the gospel. The privileges of the gospel. Verse 7. Paul in this passage gives us three wonderful privileges. There are many others, but I believe he gives us three of the most powerful privileges of the proof of the gospel. A life of obedience will produce assurance that we will understand these three things. Number one, I want you to notice, Paul says, that we are the beloved of God. Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. Did you hear that? Paul says, we are loved. He says, God loves us. That's the gospel. That's one of the privileges of responding to the gospel is to know the love of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 gives us the dark, stark reality of what we looked like before we became Christians. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. People who are non-Christians follow the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul saying, you once were dead spiritually. You once followed the, the ways of the world and you once were under the control of Satan. Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, it is your father, Satan, who controls you. Every person that's born into this world is born under the control of Satan. And Paul says that's the way you once were. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. He said, man, we crave those things. We follow those things. We fulfilled our desires in the things of the world. Then he says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, look at that word, but. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Do you get the picture? Paul says, I want you to remember Rome, church at Rome and the church at Ephesus. He said, I want you to remember who you were. And you were filthy. You were lost. You were dead. You were craving the desires of the world. But God came on the scene and because of his love, he moved you out of this sphere and realm of the kingdom of evil, and he's placed you in this kingdom of light. You are a different person, not because of your repentance, 
not because of your goodness, not because of anything you did. You have been saved because of the love of God. It's God's love that was put upon you that brought you to Christ. It's not the wrath of God that draws men to, to Jesus. Now I grant you, some people preach on hell and people get saved afterwards. But it's by and large not the preaching on hell that brings men to Jesus. It's not things that cause them to fear that brings them to Jesus. It is the love of God that brings them to Jesus. God said, I pulled you with the cords of love. The reason if you're a Christian today that you're saved is because Paul says, you've been loved by God. He sovereignly looked down and put his love on you. Nothing you did, he just loved you. He gave you his love. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Hang a left. Go way back. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Oh, this is a powerful passage. Speaking of this love of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 6, 7, and 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possessions. Why? Verse 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. You were the smallest country, the smallest nation. Now look at verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Oh, isn't that a beautiful picture? Look up here now for a moment. Paul's saying to the church at Rome, and he's saying to you and me today, there's nothing about you that caused God to love you. There wasn't anything you had to offer to him. But God sovereignly, by a choosing of his own heart, looked down and loved you. Oh, friend, do you get it? God loves me. God loves you. He chose you to put his love on you. He loves you. And that's why we can walk into his presence with confidence, not as servants, so to speak, but as friends, but not only as friends, but as children of the king. I always was able to walk into my dad's presence with boldness because in confidence, because he was my dad and he loved me and I never, ever doubted it. Paul says, I want you to know at Rome, I want Osceola Church to know you are loved of God. I want to show you another insight that I saw. Remember when Jesus was being baptized? This same word is used again. Jesus comes up out of the water and there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did you get it? Paul uses the same word. The same word that the Father said about his son Jesus, how he loved him. Paul says, God loves you and me in the same very identical way. What a truth! What does that mean, preacher? Turn to John 17. John 17. 
Hang on right. Go for a long ways. John 17. Twenty-two and twenty-three. Jesus is talking to the Father here, and he says, excuse me, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Hmm. Isn't that good? God gave Jesus glory. Jesus said, Father, I gave it to them too. And that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know, know what? That you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that powerful? Amen? Did you get it? Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, the Father in heaven loved the Son and He loves you and me in the same exact way as He does Jesus. Paul said, I want you to know you've been loved. You are loved. Turn to Romans chapter 5. just like Jesus. Oh, if that doesn't bless you, friend, you need to check your spiritual pulse. God loves Bill Revis the same way as he does Jesus Christ What a promise. All my life, until I studied the book of Ephesians, all my life, I just kind of walked around thinking that God loved Jesus more than he did me. I don't know why I thought that, but that's just kind of what I thought. But that's not true. I am a child of God. I'm not a stepchild. I am a child of the King, and he loves me just like he does Jesus. Paul says, you are loved. You're loved just in the same way. And listen, friend, a child can be adopted into a family and he can be loved just like another child in that family. Just, he can be loved. But that child does not carry the nature of his daddy. That's adopted him. But the Bible says that when we were born into the family of God, God's very nature has been placed in us. We've got a new nature, the nature of God. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given Paul says, God has put in our hearts the knowledge of the love of God. Look at these verses here. Verse 5, the word shed abroad. In the King James, shed abroad. But in the NIV, poured out. It means like tipped over, inundated. It means flooded. Paul says God has flooded our hearts with a knowledge of his love. Do you feel that love this morning? Do you know it? Do you know that knowledge of God's love? 
love. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. King James says, verse 1, what manner of love. The NIV says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. The word there, great, means something foreign. Otherworldly would be another way to put it. Great otherworldly what he is saying here is this God's love for mankind is so different from any other kind of love it's something from another planet it's something from another planet the Greeks had so many words for love and so abused the term love that when the writers came to to give us the word love in the Greek, they had to come up with a whole different word, agape, something that's out of this world, unconditional. God loves us, Paul said. Now what should that do for you and I today? I think of my grandfather He influenced my life tremendously. Grandfathers, you don't realize sometimes the influence you can make on a grandchild's life. So you be cautious. You be very careful. He really knew God. I never saw him mad. Sure, at times he got mad somewhere, but I never saw him. I never saw him in a hurry. Never. But he wasn't slow. Never saw him in a hurry. And I never heard him use a word that could not be used right here in front of you. he loved me he made me feel special um, I had a very poor self-image didn't know where self-image then I didn't understand I was a fat little porky pig kid and um, uh, you know rambunctious and like a bull in a china closet and uh, well just watch but he loved me. And there are times when I was a teenager that I was tempted to do some things. And I did some things wrong. But there were often times, there were times I was tempted. And I did not go do it. Because I knew that if I were caught, my papa would find out. And he would be deeply disappointed with me. He loved me. And I believe that's what Paul's saying to the church at home. I want to remind you, church, he says, God loves you. And it ought to motivate us 
to want to obey Him. Secondly, I want you to notice this morning another privilege that we have as Christians. Paul says, not only are you beloved, not only are you loved, he says, you've been called. Oh, I like that word called. He says, you've been called to be saints. Now, there's two kinds of calls. There's a general call. There, in this passage and in the Bible, there, not in this passage, but there are passages in the Bible that speak of a general call to be saved. For example, write these down. Don't turn, we don't have time. But Isaiah 45, 22 says, Be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Turn ye, turn from your evil ways. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. John 7, 37, dealing with this call, says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. See, that's a general call. The gospel goes out this morning about Jesus and his love, and it's a general call this morning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You need to know the Lord Jesus. Trust him and obey him. Love him. That's a general call. Look up here for a moment. But that's not the call that saves you. There is a specific call. A specific call. And that's the word used here. Paul is not giving a general call to receive the gospel in verse 7. He has in mind what is called the effectual call to redemption that comes by the sovereign will of God. The word called is used in another place in the Bible as the elect. Ephesians 1.4 says, He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Scripture is filled with references that anyone who believes as one who has been sovereignly called and predestinated by God, from man's viewpoint, we come to Christ as an act of our own will. But from God's perspective, He called us to Himself before the world began. We've been called. Now listen, friend. Hear me carefully. Are you listening? Young person, are you listening? You cannot be saved just whenever you want to be saved. Did you hear me? You cannot be saved just whenever you want to be saved. There's a general call of of recognizing the gospel, but there is a specific call of God on a man's life when the Holy Spirit of God draws him to himself. That's election. That's quickening. That's choosing. God has chosen you. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and quickens you, you will want to repent of your sins. You will want to turn your back upon the world. You will want to go to Jesus because it is an irresistible power of God. You won't want to do anything but obey Him. For in the day that I got saved, I had had general calls all of my life. I'd heard the gospel more times than I knew about. And and I responded to the general call one day. I walked down the aisle and joined the church. And I was baptized. And they told me that I was a Christian. And they told me that I was going to heaven. I responded to a general call. But friend, I want to tell you something. Listen to me clearly. My heart and my life was not changed. 
wasn't until I was 16 years old that I recognized as I looked around, I was no different than what the people in the world were. Yes, I dressed up on Sunday morning. Yes, I carried a Bible. Yes, I went to church because my mom and dad wanted me to go. Yes, I went, but my heart was not in it. My life had not been changed. My heart was dabbling in the world. I wanted the world. I wanted everything that it had. I was sitting there minding my business, carving my initials on the back of the pew. And God, in His sovereign grace, brought that specific call upon my life. And I saw myself a sinner. And I saw Jesus who died for me on the cross. I didn't see Him with a physical eye, but I could sense it in my life. Jesus was hanging and being spit upon and hanging naked. And He was dying for me. He loved me. He did it for me. And friend, the Spirit of God moved upon me and friend I wanted to respond to the gospel no man could have held me down no kid could have intimidated me and kept me from coming friend I want you to know I couldn't wait for that preacher to get done because I knew that as I was like hanging over the abyss I knew that if I were to die I was lost I knew that if I didn't have Jesus something was going to happen bad and I wanted him and I wanted him badly and I came down that aisle drawn by that irresistible grace. Friend, I didn't sit there and think, well, will I accept Jesus or will I not accept Jesus? Friend, all I knew to do was to accept Him because He had chosen, called, and said, Danny, come. You've been not a general call, Paul says, but a specific call. Now write this down. You were called before the foundation of the world. Before God allowed His Son, who is God, to speak the world into existence, before the first star was placed into the sky, before the first river flowed within its banks, before the oxygen came upon this earth, before this universe was placed into existence and hung on nothing, before God looked down and looked into some dust and, and pulled it together and created a man and breathed into him and created a living soul. Before that ever took place, God in his great grace and love looked down through eternity. Before, in the, God looked down through eternity and he saw you and he saw me and he called us, he chose us and our name was put in the book before eternity. Oh, listen, friend. What mind can understand it? Listen, friend, I can't understand it. It's irreconcilable. It's my rational mind cannot comprehend it. The will of a man and the will of God. I cannot grasp it, but I know experientially. I don't have to fully understand it, but I know that I got the specific call and no one can ever talk me out of it. No one can ever change my mind. I know that I'm God's child because he called me. I want to ask you a question today. Have you been called? Last Sunday, God reached down and showed one of our deacons that he was lost. Did you hear me? A good man. There's not a better man in this building today than he was. A good man.
a good dad, a hardworking citizen, a good church member, a giver. You name it and you call the day and he will be here to go and do whatever. But he said this, God showed me I had never ever been convicted of my sin. I always knew that sin was wrong. I always knew that sin was bad. I joined the church as a little child, but I had never been convicted that I put Jesus on the cross. He says, God pulled back the veil. And he said, I asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior. His wife spoke up in care group and said, I knew for six months that he'd been lost. And I almost felt convicted about praying for him because he was such a good man. But I knew there was not life in him. Listen, friend, look up here. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I want to ask you a question this morning. It is a question that could be death or life for you. When did you get life? When did you get life? Not when did you make a decision. Not when you were baptized, but when did the light get turned on in your life that causes you to be called of God? And if it hasn't happened, you're lost. You're lost. You're lost. But Danny, I'm a deacon. Oh, but Danny, I'm this. Oh, but Danny, I'm that. Listen, friend, Jesus said those are going to be people who are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do this and didn't I do this? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. They drew close with their mouth, but in their heart it was far from them. They didn't love spiritual things. They didn't desire spiritual things. They didn't want to walk in obedience. They, didn't want to, they did not want to respond to God's commandments. They just did it out of duty. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I saw that young deacon this morning, and for the first time, and I've known him for 10 years, I see life in him. I see a spring in his walk. I see a smile on his face. I see life in his eyes. He has changed because he's been called of God. Called. Have you been called? God can be calling you down. Finally, this morning, I want you to see the third privilege. Paul says, not only have we been loved of God, called of God, he said, we are saints of God. To all be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. The word to be there, those words should not be there. They're not in the original. We're not called to be saints. We're called saints, Paul says. Called saints. I'm Saint Danny. Now, there is a religion that has misrepresented or has misunderstood this principle of New Testament truth on saints that says, well, only specific special people are saints and you've got to perform a miracle or you've got to do this. We're saints. What does the word mean? Hogios, it means set apart. God has set us apart. In the Old Testament, God set apart. The word means holy one. The Bible says that those at, at Rome were holy ones. The Bible says those at the Osceola Church, those who have really genuinely been redeemed, who are God's children, are holy ones. 
That's what the word means, holy one. In the Old Testament, many things were said to be set apart. The holy of holies was set apart. Exodus 26, 33. The priests were set apart. Exodus 19, 6 says the whole nation of Israel was set apart. But what does it mean in the New Testament? It means Romans, it means in Romans that Christians are holy, set apart, because God has chosen not to live in a temple made of man, but God has chosen to live in me and you. We are set apart. Listen, look up here for a moment. Did you know that God lives in you? Boy, I've really been going through a battle. I don't want to brag, but I won't tell you the truth. I've lost 17 pounds in two weeks. Now, I want to remind you, I've always been fat or chunky. I've never seen thin. I'm not even claiming I'll always ever see thin. But I want to tell you why I'm here. And I've asked the, I've asked the elders to hold me accountable. I've asked my men that I'm discipling to hold me accountable. Well, my, my family's holding me accountable. And what's the difference? I was counseling one of the guys that I'm discipling about smoking. He was telling me about challenging smoking. I told him he had victory, that I've never seen a Christian go on with God and have victory that let smoking beat him down and hinder him. And when I told him that, the Holy Spirit of God said to me, Pot, kettle, calling. Pot calling the kettle black. What do you mean? That means, you see this? It's there because I've done one thing. I have sinned against my body. I have overeaten. Now, I know the metabolism. I know all that stuff. I'm going to tell you something. Metabolism and no metabolism. I have overeaten. And it is sin. I cannot stand up here and lead you, and love you like God wants me to as a pastor if I have an area in my life that I have not put under the Lordship of Jesus. And I'm asking you, you hold me accountable. By God's grace, by God's grace, I will see 200 pounds one day. When I got on the scales, I weighed 260 pounds. By God's grace, I'm not boasting. I'm confessing a sin to you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. I'm His temple. I have heard him. I've been set apart to be different. Set apart. You and I have been set apart. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Boy, when you confess sin around here, it gets awful quiet. But I do. I'm sorry. But you are a chosen people, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. On the day that he visits us. Now look up here and I'm going to wrap it up. God has called us to be a holy people set apart, not living in the world, not, not being of the world. We live in the world, but not being of the world and to live a different life. We're holy. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we make mistakes. But our lives is to be one that is set apart. There was a young man who came to our house yesterday. You don't know him, so I could share this. He lives in another city way off. And uh, he didn't know that I was a pastor. And uh, we had, we, Stephen had sold his Jeep. And um, we were filling it out, and the title, and his daddy was standing over here, and Stephen was standing here, and Billy was standing here, and we stand out in the yard. And, and this young man said, uh, On the title, can you reduce the price so that I won't have to pay so much tax? I said, no, sir. That's lying. And I ain't going to lie. Man, there was conviction fell around there, wasn't it? He saw my good works. Why did I do that? Because I'm a child of God. I'm to live a holy life. I'm not to lie on that. I gave him a testimony. And I believe it gave my boys a testimony as long as they live. And my challenge to them coming up the road this morning, boys, I want you to do that. What if he had asked you to do it? What would you do? Not I did anything great. Not, don't point attention to me. But it's a, it's a point. Listen, friend, we live in a different, we're living in a different sphere. We're not to be like the world. We're to be different in the world. We're to live a holy life and people see that we're different. And the problem with Osceola Church and Osceola County is simply this. Friend, we don't need to live like the world. Live like God wants us to live. Many of you might have read the Greek mythology about the Isles of Syrens. Now listen to this, and I promise I'll close. The old fable was told of the Isles of the Syrens, whose songs lured the sailors from the ships to sin and death. And the shore on the island was covered with the bleached bones of tempted sailors. We're told in the story that Ulysses and his ship was sailing near the island. Ulysses knew of this beautiful music that would come to allure the sailors to sin and to death. Ulysses said, have wax put in the men's ears. Have wax put in my ears that I might not hear and have me tied to the mast of the ship so that I will not yield. And sure enough, the wax was put in their ears and he was wax in his ears and he was tied to the mast and they sailed by the Isle of the Serenes. And sure enough, the people began to play their melodious music of great temptation. And as they sailed by, they saw the bleached bones of the sailors that had gone before them, who had sinned and entered into death. It wasn't long that Orphus came sailing by with his men. And he knew of the Isles of the Serenes. But he said, no, 
I will put wax in my men's ears. We'll sail by it. But Orpheus was a great musician. And as they came near to the island, he began to play his beautiful music. And sure enough, the people in the Isles of Serenes began to play their tempting, beautiful music. And it was so melodious and so tempting, but he played a greater music. And as they, as they sailed by, not one of his men jumped over. All of his men stayed on board, and they sailed on by the temptation of sin and death. Why? Because the music of the Isles of the Serenes touched those sailors' ears. Orpheus' music touched their souls. And so it is with the saint of God. We have been touched by the master's hand. We walk to the beat of a more dearer drummer. We have a music that is greater and it behooves us to follow the master and to live away from the world, get as far away from it as we can, rather than to be listening to its temptation to sin. Say, let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. We know this morning that it is a message of life to some, a message of death to others. For some will respond some will walk out of here untouched, unmoved, and walk a road that's broad and will lead to destruction. Holy Spirit, I pray today that all of those that you are calling would respond. Coming to Jesus and benefiting in these privileges to be loved, to be called, to be saints, living a life as stars in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?
here this morning. You could be here today and God's calling. They come. You could be here today and you'd say, boy, I, I know I'm a saint. I, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm a saint. But I've been living in such a deficient way. The world has put me in its mold. And God's convicted me. I pray you will just run to the Lord Jesus and respond to him. Say, Lord, I claim victory to come out from among you. You could be here today and God's saying, this is the church home I want you in. Maybe not the one you maybe want to be in, but one that God wants you in. And that when you come in obedient, God will change your want to. We're going to sing one more stanza. You do what God tells you to do today. Spirit's drawing. You come as we sing. Have thine own way. coming forward and as they come let us go to the Lord in prayer Larry Margarella would you lead us in prayer this morning
Thank you, Tom and Jennifer, for sharing with us this morning. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed today. May the peace of the Lord Jesus be upon you as you go in the power and the name of our Lord Jesus. May you go in victory. May you go in faith. And may you go remembering you are loved. You are called. You are saints. God bless you.